in your prayers. Now tonight, if you have your Bibles, uh, look at Exodus chapter 20. We are concluding the series of lessons that we've been doing for a couple of months now. We've been doing on the Ten Commandments. And uh, we've been talking about the Ten Commandments for quite a while. We've been talking about how that God has called us in this, this, these Ten Commandments to, to do some things. And uh, it actually came out of a conversation we were having in our, uh, our elders meeting one day. We were talking about the idea that uh, there's so many th- different things in society today where society is going off in the wrong direction and how that we need to get back. And, and uh, I, listen, I believe it was you that mentioned, said, you know, we need to, maybe we need to get some more basic lessons. And I thought, you know, you can't hardly get any more basic than the Ten Commandments. And it actually deals with a lot of different areas in life. It deals with our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. And so we talked about that, and we've, we've been doing this study. We're actually on the Tenth Commandment, and uh, we're, if you'll look at it, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Now, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. It says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servants, nor his female servants, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And, and we talked about that idea that he said, thou shalt not covet. And we, we actually began that just a, a couple of weeks ago in this section of scriptures. We talked about how materialism has, has caused us to become more covetous and seeking after the things of others. Now, it's nothing wrong with wanting something. It is, but the idea of what he's talking about here is wanting something that belongs to somebody else that you have no right to. And so he warns us there. Now, we got down to looking at that, and we, we talked about how it was a debasing sin, how it was a deceiving sin, because, you know, it's, a, it's weird to see, because most people, you never hear people admit to covetousness. Have you ever had anybody, in, in all the years that I've been preaching, 30-something years, I don't believe I've ever had anybody walk down the aisle and say, would you please pray for me? I'm guilty of covetousness. It is a sin that so easily besets us, it's a sin that I dare say that each and every one of us have been guilty of sometime in our life. And it's one that can creep up and get us easily. And so we need to be aware of that. And he says here, and we need to know that it is a a deceiving sin. That's where we left off on our last lesson. But I want to go on to say that not only is it a, a debasing sin and a deceiving sin, it is a damning sin. Some people think that covetousness is just, just a little minor sin. After all, if it is a sin, it's not a big one. You know, you've got big sins. But this one, it wouldn't be a big sin. It'd just be a little one. And so they're not so worried about covetousness. Most of us in the audience wouldn't think of getting drunk. We wouldn't think about stealing or committing adultery. Or, or we, wouldn't, we definitely wouldn't, any of us, think about killing someone. But when it comes to covetousness... You may be thinking, that's not such a big thing. You may be saying, if it's, if it's all that wrong with me, then, you know, it's not, I'm not, if that's all that's wrong with me, then I'm not that bad a shape. Well, let me give you a scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, the King James Version says, the New King James says, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor, listen to this, covetous man who is an adulterer has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now notice the company in which he puts the covetous. God calls it, he says again there, he says, nor a covetous man who is an idolater. 
You know, in America today, we wouldn't think much about someone who would, would you know, you know, we think of covenant, you know, someone who's an adult or someone might carve out an image or kneel before stone or, or something like that. But Paul tells us that covetousness is idolatry. It's like bowing down to some false god. And so that's what he says. A covetous man is an idolater. And God says that such a man has no part in the kingdom of God. It is a damning sin. And I think one of the best illustrations of this particular one is, is the rich young ruler in the New Testament. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. Now here's the story of a young man who came to Jesus. And this young man was a good man. This young man comes and he's inquiring to Jesus about eternal life. And in Mark 10 and verse 17, New Century Version says... As Jesus started to leave, a man ran to him and fell on his knees before Jesus. The man asked, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? So far, so good. I'll tell you that in many ways, this was an exceptional young man. He was an amazing young man. In the first place, he was eager. The Bible says in verse 17 that he came running to Jesus. He's not just a, a lot of, you know, like a lot of spiritual dullers that, uh, you know, I know who come to church services on Sunday morning. come and they sit and they sulk in services. And they, they, it's almost you don't see the sign, but they have a, this sign that says, you know, please do not disturb. They don't get excited about much. They don't get in fire about much. They're not really concerned about much. This guy was excited enough that when he saw Jesus, he came running to Jesus. This man came running. He was eager to find out. You know, I believe that we in the church, we need to leap in the service and not creep in the service. We need to be, you know, we need to be full of joy when we come into before the Lord. But some of us, about the only, you know, the closest we ever get to joy is when we do the dishes. I mean, we're just not that happy. And, and we're not happy about coming together. We're not happy about God's Word. We're not happy to see each other. We're not happy to, we're not just not happy. We're not happy with life. But not only was he eager, he was enthusiastic. He wanted to know. I mean, give him credit for that. Not only was he eager and enthusiastic, but he was humble. He knelt in front of Jesus. Now, remember, he was a ruler, and he was wealthy. He had possessions, He had possessions, and yet he knelt before the Galilean prophet. He knelt before a carpenter's son. Not only was he eager and enthusiastic and humble, but, you know, it took a lot of courage to do what he did. Do you notice that, that it says that there that he bowed down? It was, now here he was out in front of everybody. He was in public. He was in an open public place where everybody could see. He comes running to Jesus, eagerly wanting to know, and he's asking the question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he literally bowed down, bows down before Jesus. It was out in front of everybody. It says when Jesus was in the way. You know, he did it out in front. He didn't care about the sneers of the godless gang or the Christless clique. He kneeled in front of Jesus in broad daylight. So we need to give him credit for that. He also had great discernment. For it tells us 
in verse 17 that he calls Jesus good master. He knew goodness when he saw it. There was something in his heart and his life and his mind of this young man who was, who had made it. He was really doing well in societal's way that enabled him to discern goodness when he saw it. Give him credit for that. He's also interested in the spiritual. He's not coming for healing. A lot of people did. He wasn't coming for power. Yeah, there were people who did that. He wasn't coming for money. He wasn't coming for the food. You know, there were a lot that followed, followed him after the feeding of the 5,000. He wasn't coming for that. He was coming to inquire about eternal life. And so he says, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was spiritually interested. So give him credit for that. Not only was he that, but he was morally clean. When Jesus spoke to him, he told him, you know, he spoke of him about keeping the commandments. And he said he was able to say, all these things have I kept from my youth until now. That was his answer when Jesus told him, you need to keep the commandments. He would have made a good neighbor. He would have been a great business associate. The J.C.'s would have elected him as being president of the J.C.'s. He'd be the man of the year. If the church had been in existence at that time, he would have made the, been made a deacon or an elder in that church. On the outside, he looked good. I mean, he looks fine. He is rich. He is young. He is a ruler. He is enthusiastic. He is he's humble. He is... Again, excited to see Jesus. He is kneeling down before Jesus. All these things on the outside look really good. But Jesus, who was more discerning than the young man was, looked at him and he saw a fatal flaw. This man was inflicted and infected and eaten up with the sin of covetousness. And he didn't even know it. But Jesus knew. Now, I wish you could tell, I wish I could come and tell you that this story that he's telling us here had a happy ending to it, but it doesn't. Jesus talks with this young man about keeping his commandments. Now, if you read this carelessly, you might think that Jesus was teaching salvation by command keeping. He's not teaching that at all. Matter of fact, he's teaching the very opposite. He's teaching that you cannot be saved by keeping the commandments because, you know, none of us are that good. None of us do everything just right. As a matter of fact, if you'll read John's writings in, in 1 John, he says, if we say we do not have sin, we're lying, the truth's not in us. And, he, and, and Jesus said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, we're, we're all short of God's glory. We all sin. None of us are perfect. And this was not teaching that, oh, you know, Jesus, he comes to Jesus. Jesus said, well, keep his commandments. Jesus knew beforehand. Jesus replied, well, keep the commandments. Somebody might think, well, if I just keep the commandments, I'll be all right. That I can be saved by works, be saved by the things that I do. But we know that Jesus went a little deeper than that, didn't he? He's teaching that you cannot be saved by keeping the commandments because none of us are that good. And this young man didn't realize it. Jesus was teaching this young man that he could not behave himself in the kingdom of God. But Jesus is here talking to him about the commandments. And the young man says, oh, I, I've kept them. 
I've kept all of them. And Jesus says, well, there's, and I think he's working his way up to that. There's just one thing you lack. There's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. Now, when Jesus said that, he struck a vital nerve because Jesus knew that this man was not really a commandment keeper. I mean, he looked good on the outside. Most of us, if we saw him, he said, man, that guy would have been a great church member. For no man is a good commandment keeper. No one other than Jesus has ever kept the law. You know, we need to understand it. You know, people say, oh, you know, even today, you'll ask somebody, what do you need to do today? Well, you need to love Jesus. You need to, you know, you need to, uh, you know, you, you need to become a Christian and keep the Ten Commandments. Well, let me tell you something. Nobody keeps the Ten Commandments. Nobody. Matter of fact, most people in the religious world don't keep the Ten Commandments because I, I can think of one right off the bat. You know, the Bible says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And we're not Sabbath keepers anymore. The Sabbath is Saturday. We, we worship on the first day of the week. But, but the idea there is, you know, if you'll keep these commandments, Jesus was the only one that kept them and kept them perfectly. Again, because we know what Romans tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one other than Jesus has ever kept the law. No one can keep the law. You remember that the Ten Commandments are divided into two sections? The first four commandments deal with our relationship to God. The last six commandments deal with our relationship to man. And Jesus showed this covetous young man that in spirit he'd broken all the law because he loved money more than he loved God. And he loved money more than he loved his fellow man. You remember we're doing the study on neighboring on, on Sunday mornings. We've been doing this study for last thing. And, and, and one of the teachers asked Jesus, Jesus, tell us what's the most important commandment of them all. And Jesus said, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this guy says, you've answered well. And Jesus told him, you're not far from the kingdom. But the idea there is nobody keeps them right. And Jesus showed this man that God, that he didn't love God and he didn't love, he loved money more than he loved God and he loved money more than he loved his fellow man. Now we need to be careful here. Jesus knew many rich people and he had some rich friends. This is the only one that I know of that Jesus ever asked to do this. That I know of. To go and sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. Now, why do you think that is? Because Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew in his heart that money was number one in his life. Now, why did he ask this young man to sell everything that he had and give it to the poor? Because Jesus wanted to reveal not only to everyone else, but to this young man what the problem was. He didn't even see it himself. His problem was covetousness. And he didn't even dream that it was a problem, that it was his problem. If you'd ask him, he probably would have said, you know, I help people. You know, I, I, I'm not opposed to doing some good things for people. But Jesus knew the heart of this rich young ruler, and he told him, you need to, there's one thing you lack. 
He thought that he was a, a commandment keeper, and that was so fine. But in reality, he was eaten up with the transgression of the Tenth Commandment, which is, Thou shalt not covet. Now, in your mind, I want you to watch this rich young man. The battle begins. He clenches his feet. He wipes his forehead. He bites his lips. You know, the recording angel in heaven is there with his pen poised, ready to inscribe this man's name in the book of life. Because, I mean, he was that close to the kingdom of God. The demons, the imps in hell are there too. They perch on his shoulder and they whisper in his ear, fear and ridicule and tell him of the fool that he would be if he, he gave away everything that was his. Finally, the rich man gives the fatal answer. A firm, quiet resolute no and his soul strikes out and and he he has committed spiritual suicide because of covetousness i say again that covetousness is a damning sin because if you'll read the rest of that story there you'll read where it says that the man walked away because he had much goods. He couldn't give it up. And I'm going to tell you, if you have anything that stands between you and your God, that thing has become your God. And that's why he gives us this command. You know, he, he, I, he, did you know that there are people all over the, this country who will not come down to a church building aisle or profess their faith in Jesus and be baptized into Him and become a part of His spiritual family because they think if they do, the church will want some of their money. I know people like that. If you're thinking I'm kidding, you just don't know human nature. There are a lot of people who fit the description that I just gave. They say, oh, you know, all they want down there, they just, they just want your money. You know, they, they pass the plate every Sunday morning. Now, we're not like a lot of denominations. We don't pass the plate every time you get around. We, you know, but, you know, like a lot of churches do, you know, they, if they meet five times a week, they're going to pass the plate five times a week. We don't do that. But they think, you know, all you're really concerned about is getting money. And anyone who feels that way has a problem, and that problem is the sin of covetousness. There are some people who would give up coming to church before they would give up getting a new refrigerator. Do you know that? Do you know there are people whose God is gold and whose creed is greed and who's infected with the sin of covetousness, and they don't even know it? Jesus said, you know, what will a man gain if he should... Gain the whole world and lose his own soul. And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus was talking about the same idea there, that there are people in the world who would give up their souls. For something else. Again, I remember years ago when I was here the first time, when we were at 2nd and Maple Street. I remember preaching on a Wednesday night. One time, and and uh, or Sunday night, and it was getting around Thanksgiving time, and I knew that we were, you know, that that it was a Wednesday night because I, 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 I no, it was a Sunday before Thanksgiving, and I, I was, I was preaching, and I was up there, and I was talking about, you know, how that we needed to be here for services when we, you know, when the church gathers together, you know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter ten twenty five, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, and, and but there's some that would do it, and I said, do you know, there'll be some of you that. Uh, and, and I, I wanted to get a like a a ten pound turkey. And I want to roll it down the aisle. I said, you know, 
you know, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul, you know. And, uh, you know, I was a little hard back then, you know, about the idea that, you know, some would stay home and, and cuddle a turkey before they would come to church. But I don't have to go to, to Thanksgiving to get that. I know there are people who give up all kinds of things rather than come to be with the saints. We had 144 this morning. I don't know how many we got here tonight, but it's not 144. Now, why do you think they're not here? They're not here. Now, they, there's some that might have some good excuses for not being here. There's some that may have to work. There's some that, you know, I know, uh, uh, for instance, uh, uh, the McPhersons have gone to Nashville to be with his dad and all that. He's been having some difficulties. I know there's some people that are missing for some really good reasons, some various reasons. But I know that the vast majority are because they just have something better they like to do. I was in a meeting this week with a group of millennials and bless their hearts. Uh, that we were there and we were talking about uh, a program on discipling and, and the idea that, you know, and there was a church there, a, a big mega church that, you know, had 1,500 members and they were talking about the idea that they had three services on Sunday morning, over over 500 each service and how that they had done away with their, their Sunday school Bible classes and how they'd done away with their Wednesday night classes. They'd gone to all small group and it's all relational type stuff. And I said, that's good. But we need to have Bible study. And we had done this big chart on the wall to show where people are spiritually. We had the dead, the spiritually dead, the newborns and, and toddlers and young adults and adults. We, we classified different people. And then we talked about physically how you relate in those different areas. And then we said, you know, now make the spiritual application of that. And all they, they, we had made this big pie chart and all that. It was with this same group. Got done with that. It was on the wall there. We looked at that. We talked about the spiritual things. And one of the things we talked about was most people don't see themselves where they really are we think we're further along in our christian walk than maybe we really are we just had that conversation we were sitting in the class they were talking about them not having their bible classes anymore at this particular church and one of them said you know i kind of like that idea and i said that's not going to happen and they said well you know after i get in a bible class and i'm in there for about seven minutes i'll i, I lose interest i'm thinking so where did you put yourself on that chart, number one? You know, you might need to take a couple of steps back to the toddler stage because if a toddler can't pay attention for more than five minutes at a time, you know, it's a kid that can't do that. But what they're saying is there's so many things in my life that are so much more important than me sitting down and studying the Word where Jesus said, or Paul told us, giving Jesus his message, that, you know, study to show thyself approved, a workman that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth, that we need to be studying God's Word. Now, you can covet more than money. And a lot of times that's what we think. And he lists some things. You know, you covet your neighbor's wife or you can covet these possessions or you can covet this thing. I could, I'll even go say that sometimes we can covet our time more than we can covet our, uh, you know, uh, our free time than we do time with Jesus. But anyway, anyone who feels that way has a problem with the sin of covetousness. There's some people, again, would, would just give up coming to church if it meant they had to sacrifice something else. They'll find all kinds of excuses for not giving their heart to Jesus Christ. Like the rich young ruler, they're covetous. Now I want to remind you, however, that you don't have to be rich to be covetous. 
If you own a Ford, you can covet another man's Cadillac. If you own a Volkswagen, you can covet another man's Ford. If you own a bicycle, you can covet the other man's Volkswagen. If you've got a new pair of shoes, you can covet the other guy's bicycle. All I'm saying is that you don't have to be rich to be covetous. Now, I was to go on and think not only about the roots of covetousness and the results of covetousness, but now for a few moments that I have left, I want to talk about the remedy for covetousness. And we've described how bad it is and how easy it's a sin that so easily besets us. What is the remedy for it? How can old covetous hearts ever be changed? What's the remedy for covetousness? Well, I suggest a threefold remedy, a threefold remedy for covetousness. Number one, a commitment to Christ. Jesus said, by the way, in Matthew chapter 6, he was talking about people who were worried about things. They were worried about what they shall eat and what they shall drink and what they shall put on. And in Matthew chapter 6 there, he's, you know, they're, they're worried about all these different things. And he says, you're no different than the, the pagan out there when you do that. But he gets down to the bottom line talking to them. And he says, seek ye first, in verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he doesn't stop there. And all these things shall be added unto you. You know, a lot of times what we'll do is say, Lord, if you'll just give me everything I need first, and then I'll, uh, I, you know, once I get my house in order, once my kids get grown, once I get a good job, once I get all this thing, once I get everything in order, I'll start coming to church. But I've got too much stuff going on. I've got too many, too many things pulling me away. He says, there's nothing wrong with the things, but we need to seek first, first, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You need to commit to Christ, basically is what he's saying. Put Christ first. There can never be any start to solving any sin problem until you start with Jesus. Now, what does this do when you commit your life to Jesus Christ? You know what happens? You get a new heart. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, If anyone belongs to Christ, they are a new creature. The old things have been passed away. Everything becomes new. What he's saying is, is that you get a brand new start. Christians are not just nice people. They're now new creatures. They're a new breed. They have a different way of thinking. They are born again. That's what Jesus will do for you. You might be thinking, well, Mitchell, that's just so much talk. No, that's not just talk. I know from personal experience. I know what Jesus has done in my own life. I know the change that has made in my life. Now, if you don't believe that, you go and you talk to some, some of the people that I went to school with when I was growing up. They would tell you that in no uncertain terms that, you know, something has happened to Mitchell. Matter of fact, I had a, I had a history teacher that told me one day that I, I was a bit of a rebel in the days. I was raised up in the 60s. I mean, what do you expect? And, uh, uh, and, and I had a history teacher said, you know, oh, you'll wind up in prison one of these days. Well, I'm a prisoner of Christ. I've seen people changed. You know, there's people in this audience. They can tell you that they are changed. Their lives are not what they were. And it wasn't something that changed me. It was someone. And that someone 
made a new creature out of me. Now that doesn't mean that it was it would be impossible for me to covet again. Doesn't mean that covetousness will, will not be a way of life for me. Now listen to me very carefully. There's no way, there's absolutely no way to be victorious over this sin or any sin until you have the Spirit of Christ living in you. And the only way you can ever happen is for you to make a commitment to Christ. Number one, a commitment to Christ. Number two is a contentment in Christ. Some people are committed to Christ, but they're not contented in Christ. Listen to this, we read in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He says, let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. You know, Solomon said, he that lovers silver will not be satisfied. And I can remember in the you know, days back, uh, you know, back in the day when they used to have uh, different advertising. Joel, you remember back when they used to have uh, cigarette advertisements on, you know, on TV? You know, that's a, you know, they used to have these, the Marlboro Man was big, you know, him riding on his horse and all those kinds of things. But there was one commercial that was on all, all the time that says, you know, smoke Chesterfields, they satisfy. Well, if they did, why do you want another? And then another, and then another, until you become a chain smoker. They don't satisfy. But the devil will say, if you got this, you'll be satisfied. But our philosophy today is, if you want to be happy today, you get all you can, can all you get, sit on the lid and poison the rest. Just get out here and get what you can. And the guy who dies with the most toys wins. Again, Solomon said, he that loveth silver will not be satisfied. So, you need to be content. And... The word content, he says, first of all, he says the word conduct means your behavior. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Let your behavior be without covetousness. All right, that's the command, but how in the world do I fulfill that command? Let your, he says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Then he gives you the answer. By being content with such things as you have. And I'm almost hear somebody say, be content with such things as I have. I don't have anything. You know, I've got plenty of nothing and, and nothing is, is kept in. If you feel that way, let me ask you a question. Are, are you saved? Are you a Christian? If so, then you'll understand what he's talking about because he's not talking about material wealth. Now, if you want to know how wealthy you are, if you want to know how rich you are, you add up everything you have that money cannot buy and death cannot take away. Then you'll know how rich you are. Paul said, be content with such things as you have. What do you have? Well, let's continue to read Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. He says, you know, uh, don't, don't let, you know, don't be covetous, don't, but, but, you know, be content with such things you have. And then he says, for the Lord has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What do you have? He says, you have Jesus. Man, if you've got Jesus, you've got everything. And that's not just talk. That's truth. 
You can be content in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care where you are or what your situation is. Everybody enjoys living nicely and comfortably. But you know that the Apostle Paul said in the book of Philippians that he said, I have learned in whatever state I am that there would be content. He says, matter of fact, he goes on to say, I, I, I've learned to be content with plenty. I've learned to be content without. I've learned to be hungry and I've learned to be full. I, I'm just content with whatever. Why? Because Paul had Christ in his heart and he asked Paul, he, and he, he, he knew Paul, he said, I, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And only people in Jesus can be content. Genuinely content. Because I'm going to tell you, there's something in your life that's missing and a lot of people try to fill that missingness with, with things and they're never satisfied with it. You know, why? Because things don't satisfy. I mean, you think about it, you know, in my own life, you know, I, I, you know, again, everybody has their weaknesses and things of that nature. And, you know, I'm a techie kind of guy and I like all the latest gadget kind of things. But, you know, you get the, you get the, I watch one and now they got I watch three. You know, it doesn't last long. So if you, if you think contentment's going to come with having the latest thing, you're wrong. Because they'll always come out with something better. But they'll never have any better, anything better than the Christ. And he says, if you've got Christ, if you've got that, you can be satisfied. Why? Because, again, Paul says, you know, I'll, he says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. There's something that can't be taken away. I'm there. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. You've got that promise. And we need to understand that. And so, we need to be, learn to be content. Now there's so, some Christians who are not as content as they ought to be. But you show me a Christian who has a, a let go of this world with both hands. And is taking hold of Jesus Christ with both hands. And I'll show you a Christian who is content and who has joy unspeakable and full of glory. And I'll also show you a person who has come to a place where he doesn't need to covet because he has what satisfies him. You see, covetousness comes as a result of you feeling like you have a need for something that is illegitimate. But if Christ fulfills your needs, then there's no, there's no itch that the devil can scratch. You've got it covered. And you know, I feel sorry for people who don't know Christ in their life. I don't care if you've got fame or fortune or popularity or money or anything else. If you look at the world, you know some of the most unhappy people in the world are people who've got fame and money and, and prestige and all those kinds of things. They're all the time looking for the latest, greatest, they're, but they're never happy about anything. Why? Because they don't have that one thing. A man named Ernest Hemingway had all of that. He was brilliant talented, wealthy, praise of the world was his, and everything else that the world can give. But listen to a statement that he made. He said at the end of his life, life is just a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. There's no remedy for anything in life. Man's destiny in the universe is like a colony of ants on a burning log. Now, how bad is that? And then he went on, and, and, and later on he committed suicide. Yes, he had wealth and intellect. He had talent. He had praise of men. He had popularity. But he didn't have 
Christ. And I'm here to tell you that you are not a colony, a colony of ants on a burning log. We are children of the King of kings and lords of lords. We are, if you're a Christian, royal blue bloods. Where somebody and God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Satisfaction in Jesus. Contentment in Jesus. That's where it is. And that's where we need to be. You know, we need to have contentment in Jesus Christ. Someone asked the question, who's the most satisfied man? A man with a million dollars or a man with five children? What would you say? Well, the answer was the man with five children. Why? Because I've never seen a man with a million dollars who had one. Who didn't want more. I've never seen a man with a million dollars didn't want more. You know, they asked J.D. Rockefeller, how much is enough? You know what his answer was? Just a little more. Just a little more. But I've seen a man with five children who wants more. No, he, he was content with what he had. Now, let me give you third and final. Not only to be con- commitment to Christ and contentment in Christ, but there needs to be a containment of Christ. You see, when I commit to Christ, He commits to me. And He comes in me, and He comes into me, and He gives me a new heart. And when He is in me, I'm a vessel for Him to live in. And He starts to, you know, He starts to to love me through you and and me to you. Now drop your chair chair and listen carefully now. You can never love anybody and covet anything they have. Now you think about that. Have you ever seen parents who were covetous of their children? Of their children's wealth? Of their children's success? Of their children's happiness? You say, of course not. I'm happy that they're happy and doing well. Every parent is excited to see their children do well. Now, why do you feel that way? Because you love them. Well, when you contain the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus teaches you how to love, and you, you, you begin loving other people the way a parent loves their children. And there's no room, absolutely no room for covetousness in a, in a loving heart. You won't find yourself coveting your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's car, or anything your neighbor has, because Christ is, is in you, and He makes all the difference in the world. Jesus is in the transforming business. Now, why don't you let Him be in your life? Why don't you, you give Him your life? You know, there's a sad parable about a man who was offering a free gift to all the, 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 uh, for, of all his property he could, that they could walk around in a day's time. The offer was made by a wealthy landowner, and a poor man gladly accepted the gift. The next day, he got up early before the sun had appeared on the horizon, and he was ready to go. As soon as the sun could be seen, this man started his journey. He put one foot down and and another foot down, and he he was over here saying, this is mine and this is mine. On and on he walked. The noonday sun came up and, and all its heat. The man couldn't stop for food. He wouldn't stop for water. Greed had eaten him up. You know, I'm going to get everything that I can, you know, as far as I can walk, that's going to be mine. So he said, I'm going to keep going because I want to get as much as I can. Covetousness had infected his soul. Friends said, turn aside and rest for a while, but he refused to do so. Later, another one said, stop and get something to eat, some water to drink. And again, he refused. He wouldn't stop. The sun's getting hotter and hotter, and he was getting hotter and hotter. And finally, 
he ripped his shirt from his chest and he was going to the going was harder and harder in the heat of the sun he was stretching himself his goal was out there in front of him and he was thinking all this land is going to be mine greed had eaten him up covetousness had infected him the sun's about to set in the west and he's thinking just one more step just one step and finally he comes all the way around where he had started as the sun sets in the west He's reached his goal. He takes his final step. And the story goes on to say, and he fell dead of a heat stroke. And all the ground he had was a six foot by two foot burial plot. Does that remind you of anybody you know? Oh, I want this. I got to have this. And folks, the sun is setting on you and it's setting on me. And the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 8, 36 and 37 says, For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The world cannot satisfy. It's not that it's too big. It's too small. I said before, you know, Jesus is saying, number one, you can't get the whole world but even if you got the whole world it wouldn't satisfy if you got the whole world you'd want to you wouldn't have fenced the moon in for a for a potato patch i mean you'd want something else you were made for god and you will never find real satisfaction until you find jesus and so he says don't covet you need to have a relationship with man and with god and the only way to have that relationship with man and god is if you love god with all your heart soul and mind He'll be enough. He will be enough. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, if you love someone like you really ought to love someone, there's, you'll never have that covetous idea in your heart. But maybe here tonight, you're not a Christian. Again, the first thing I said is you need to have a relationship with Christ. If you're here tonight, you believe in Christ, willing to turn for your sins, confess your faith and be baptized for the remission of your sins, you can be added to the body of Christ, have your sins washed away. You can do what he said in Second Corinthians All things become new. Behold, all things are new. A new creature. You can do that tonight. If you're here tonight and you're Christian. But maybe you're guilty. Maybe something was said tonight that made you realize. Because again, what I said earlier in the lesson is most people don't recognize that in their life. And that's sad to say. But it is a sin so easily besets us. But to be covetous is to be an idolater. Maybe you need to make that right tonight. Maybe you need to come and say, God, you know, I haven't put you first. And I put other things ahead of you. I've put things before you. I've wanted things that, desired things that I shouldn't have been desiring. You can make that right tonight. And if we can help you, I want to encourage you to come as we stand and we offer the invitation. Go, son, son.